introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Let's do it. Rolls out to the right. Five seconds to go in the first half. Dante fires deep to the left. Moss caught it at the 11, but now he oh, look at this! To oh, Mo Williams! Touchdown! You gotta be kidding Welcome back to another episode of the Climbing the Pocket Protectors. I don't know what we're going to call this, but uh, as we're rolling out our new lineup for this year, I realized I just didn't have time to do two shows, but I still wanted to talk to all the boys. So everyone is here together, and things have just kind of worked out where uh, in the group chat, amongst this group, we've had some, uh, some spirited discussions, we'll say. So we're going to go ahead and get things kicked off, let everyone introduce themselves, and then we're going to jump right into things. So I'm your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And uh, the doctor, Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? How you been? I'm doing okay. Week one was a grind, but we made it out. Uh, we sweated through, what, four, four or five missed kicks the other night. Um, and obviously, the Vikings game didn't end up the way that we wanted it to. But, um, you know, it... it we're on to week two. We, the Vikings have started 0-1 before. So. All right. And my man, Miles, wide receiver one. Good. How you doing? How you been? The curls are looking nice. Shout out to Yinka. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, no, hearing Eric be so positive, is, is, it just it makes it fills me with so much joy. And, <laughs> and, you, and, you, and you talked to – Jason, you talked about uh, if, if this is the Pocket Protectors episode. I'm not sure – if I was ever allowed to be on it, because I don't know if I was like smart enough, nerdy enough for it. So like, if we want to do that, that's fine. But y'all, y'all have to be the ones that talk to this, you know, the analytics. Cause I'm not, that's not my game. Oh, no, you can get it. You can chop it up, talk some scheme with us. You know, we'll throw that in there for you as well. And then I'm um, a man. Also doctor, I owe you $2,000. The check is in the mail. Nick, my man, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's getting colder, so I, I got the sweater out today. This is my first sweater day, so that's always a special day when you kick that off. I had some leftovers of my wife's pumpkin spice latte, so I'm really diving into the fall spirit. Oh, you're, you're going to go the- apple picking on Sunday. We're just like full throttle into fall festivities. <laughs> it sounds like the whitest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I was just going to say that, but I'm glad Eric said it. Oh man! And but you know you're ready already because you've been you've been preparing for fall all off season. The beard is looking lovely. That's excellent work you're doing there. Proud of you. You kept it going. And uh, last, but certainly not least, the man, the myth, the legend, Flip Mozzie. How you holding up here as we record? Uh, you know, you had a little bit of time since. You know, the, the, the pain really set in. Where are we at now? Are we back to unwavering you know, optimism? Where are you at with it, Cliff? I mean, if you ask me, I had a, a full second half of dealing with the pain. So I'm well beyond that. I'm doing well. It's 80 degrees and sunny here in California. So, mm-hmm. you know, all Rubbing things considered, life's good. Okay, well, Eric, like I told you before we started recording, I'm throwing you on the hot seat first because I want you to address something, and it feels like a conversation we have every season, but here we are. We're back again. The season starts, and numbers come out, and they don't seem to make any sense, you know? So we have 
I know we talked about, you know, Garrett Bradbury's grade where his run blocking grade was here, his pass blocking grade was here, but his overall grade was lower than both of those. And so there were some questions there. You have other things in the analytic community like DVOA coming out. And after being mollywhopped by Green Bay, the Vikings are showing up higher ranked in DVOA than the Green Bay Packers. People calling out things like Patrick Mahomes' grade, Tom Brady's grade. And so I just want you to, to help me out. Give us a bit of understanding, because I feel like at the start of every season, we have these sorts of conversations. But why do the numbers look so crazy in so many places from an analytics perspective when we're in the early part of the season? You know, I don't know the DVOA, you know, algorithm, but I could tell you, I think that the Vikings actually were efficient on offense when – you know, they, they were behind and they were behind by quite a bit, but not enough, I think, to trigger, you know, sort of the, the garbage time formula until the very end for them. That would be my answer to the DVOA question. I'm not sure about Green Bay. I will say, though, that Green Bay, you know, was put in decent situations. So, uh, you know, they had decent field position, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, the Vikings, that, that would be my guess. As far as Bradbury, that's an interesting one because usually what you see – is two grades that are lower than the total grade. And that's something due to what's called Simpson's paradox, which is basically this idea. It's the, the David Justice versus Derek Jeter, where Justice, I believe it was Justice, but had a higher batting average both seasons than Jeter. But collectively, Jeter had the higher batting average if you, if you took the two seasons combined. That's kind of what you're seeing there, where you know Bradbury's 77 pass block grade might have been below average for a center and a 65 run blocking grade might have been below average for a center. So his overall grade was below average for a center, but then lower than both of those. That, that would be my guess. I don't do the, the conversion from the plus minus stuff to the zero to hundred. So that would, you know, that that's kind of out there, but I don't know. Like I, I agree with what flip said in our group chat, which is that, you know, the, the Vikings, I don't think that they were an atrocity on Sunday on offense, but I think a decent amount of what they did has to be put into a grain of salt. I mean, Cousins was second in the entire league in percentage of passes that we charted as accurate plus, which is sort of like back shoulder. It's sort of like it's sort of on target plays. And, you know, he was only behind Aaron Rodgers. So he, he was accurate. He was putting the ball in place, but the order sucked, right? He was terrible in the second quarter and that really buried them. Um, and you know, that's why I think when people come out of the game, especially as fans and think, God, we got our asses kicked. They, they look back and like, well, why are we rated highly? All right. That's fair. And miles, you, uh, you raised your hand there. I believe. Yeah. Did you have a question? I just had a question like Eric. So do the cumul cumulative, like for like, for let's say Bradbury, for example, his pass pro and then run blocking numbers. So when they become cumulative, does that that factors into position then? I didn't know that. That's I'm just curious. Hearing you say yeah. that, like that number actually determines based off of the average from his position. Yeah, kind of. So here, so like for example, so there's a, a plus minus process, and and that plus minus is converted to a zero to a hundred. That conversion. So, you know, it depends upon how you want to think about it, but sure. you know, one way to do it would be to convert all of the grades to zero to a hundred and then take the average of them. 
but another way is to take the average first and then convert them to zero to 100. And that's sort of what we do. And, and in that process, you know, it's convex. So like, it's not necessarily going to preserve order, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. And, and Eric, I like it there. You know, you're helping me out, teeing me up here because you talked about some of the things that really got things kicked off in the group chat, led to some really great conversation and actually led to a flip joining the dark side and, and actually levying some, some criticism. And then our man, well, I mean, I guess that's not that surprising. Nick has kind of become the resident <laughs> Kirk Cousins. Uh, you, said, you said you were simping for Kirk Cousins in, in the chat, which, which, I, which I liked a lot. But you have become the defender of all things Kirk Cousins. And so uh, it was an interesting and heated, a spirited conversation. And so, Flip, I'm going to throw it to you first. Because I would like you to, to break down from your perspective, your feelings as a fan about this game in the light of, you know, some of the evidence that maybe Kirk wasn't as bad in total as maybe it felt watching the game because of the order in which, you know, the bad and the good happened in the game. Yeah, sure. And, you know, we're going straight in on Kirk here, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with y'all. We all know that the defense lost us that game, that the defense is resp responsible for the majority of the issues we had during that football game. That said, uh, you look at the offense, and I don't think it's – I'm being a hater when I say it just wasn't good enough. Um, and, and trying to put that in context, I, I have a question for y'all. Do, do y'all think that Kirk played well during the divisional round game against the 49ers last year? No, of course not. Oh, okay. Anybody? No, we're all, we're all saying he played bad. Well, you go back and you look at that game and here's Kirk's stats. He, he, he starts that game. He goes 10 for 12 with a 6.8 poor yards per attempt. He throws one touchdown, the 41 yards to digs and no interceptions. And, and so that's a high completion percentage, low yardage, only 83 yards but we still don't think that was a good game through, through the first half. Now, I, I compare that to this game. Kirk, through the third quarter, he goes 7 for 11, similar completions, 95 yards passing, and instead of the touchdown, he threw an interception on Sunday. So I'm just trying to understand how we can look at what he did on Sunday and say that was good. Granted, it's a low low uh, sample size, but football is a meritocracy. You get four downs to earn more opportunities. And if you're not earning those opportunities, then that's not something you just give a free pass to. He are wasn't you, good in his limited chances. But are you just, I mean, the issue in the San Francisco game was it just never got better, right? Whereas right. in the Green Bay game, he, you know, not that it ended up mattering, but he rallied and, and was quite good in terms of efficiency and stuff after that. Something so, to build yeah. off of. Right. Yeah. And here, here's my thing. I, yeah, I think we get, you know, and this is where my pessimistic side comes out relative to you, Flip, is like I, I don't think that the defense is good enough to win with. And, mm -hmm. and, but I don't think that that automatically should raise expectations of Kirk because I, I, don't, think that's, I don't think that's fair, right? Like he, he's – like 
after 2018, the whole shtick was we're, we have to build an offense to, to play to his strengths and mitigate his weaknesses. And I thought that him going 10 and six, winning a playoff game was him exceeding those expectations. But that doesn't mean all of a sudden this season, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, go from a top 10 ish defense to a bottom 10 defense. That doesn't make Kirk better. You know what I mean? Like, right. So, so my issue with Kirk is like, and I guess this is my negativity coming out, but my thing is like, well, Kirk did about as well as we could expect him to do relative ish, right? Like obviously the order was poor. He obviously could have played better, but like, my question is, is like, we're, we're not, we're not all of a sudden expecting him to be like Deshaun Watson or Mahomes or Wilson. Like we have you, the expectations for Kirk have to be tempered and where the blame is, as you said, is on the defense. Yeah, so I agree with that, but I I am specifically looking for that rally. Uh, I, I look at another game last year, the Denver Broncos game. Kirk rallied after that in that game when they were down twenty to nothing. And if we lose that game because the defense lets in another score, I'm completely okay with that. We can go back to 2018, the Rams game. Kirk Kirk rallied in that game. They still lost, but Kirk played well. We can't say that in this game because he didn't rally in time to be a difference maker. So, Nick, you uh, you obviously took a difference stance on this one. You'd felt like maybe Flip was being a bit harsh because when you broke down even that same sample size that Flip gave us there, uh, you came out of that, you know, really being able to highlight some really big-time plays that Kirk made within that smaller sample, even though there was – you know, some not great plays, as Flip also pointed out. Yeah, when I watched, I went back and rewatched the game, I was actually really impressed with Kirk. I thought, yeah, he had some really bad plays. You know, the safety sticks out, although that wasn't Kirk's fault at all. He was hit before he finished his drop back. That was Delvin's fault for not picking up the blitz. Um, but the interception was entirely Kirk's fault, and there's no really um, absolving that that sin. Um, and there was also a, a really bad overthrow of Thielen on the play immediately prior to the interception. So Kirk definitely had his has his problems. But you know, because of the loss, I think we're overlooking how many good plays he had, even early on when it, when it mattered. His second play of the game, Kenny Clark's in his face. He sidesteps pressure. He steps up. He rolls out. Thielen starts a scramble drill and he breaks off his, you know, his scheduled route and he comes back to the ball and Kirk throws a, a dime 25 yards downfield. That's something, you know, all off season we were saying like, yeah, Kirk, you know, he can do play by the book, but when is he ever going to like extend a play? When is he ever going to like go off the book? When is he ever just going to find his best receiver on like a scramble drill? He does exactly that 25 yards downfield, huge play, but nobody's remembering it because we just, there was just a huge shellacking 43 points. It was embarrassing. So I look back and I, th- I look at the process, though, you know, he had some misfires, but at the end of the day, you know, as Eric said, second in accuracy plus by PFF, he was fourth in completion percentage above expectation by next-gen stats. So, you know, at the end of the day, and that's really what matters, I think. And, and when we're talking about sample sizes, you know, what is garbage time? Well, well I think garbage time is, is the stuff that we can ignore because it's no longer predictive. But the stuff that was happening in the third quarters, I, I think, is still predictive. We're not going to get a more a better prediction of what Kirk Cousins looks like as a quarterback by looking at just the ten plays in the first half or whatever. We're going to get a better predictive, a better prediction of what's going to happen in the future if we look at the entire game. That's one of the reasons why you know 
if you look at his EPA in the first half, it's terrible, but it's also like 10 plays. If you look at his entire like EPA for the game, it's actually pretty solid. If you look at his PFF grade, which I think is the best predictive metric we have, his passing grade. It was fourth in the NFL last week. So I think there's a lot of positives from Kirk Cousins. I think there's a lot of specific things that uh, specific weaknesses that we're saying, you know, if you're doing the, like the scouting profile of Kirk Cousins, you say like, well, sure, he's accurate. Sure, he, you know, he can find his, the, the right read, but when is he going to show any creativity? When is he going to improvise? When is he going to uh, extend a play or show pocket presence? When is he going to ever, you know, scramble and pick up yards if they're playing man, pick up on that kind of stuff? And he shows all that stuff. So I, you know, in a weird way, I came away from the game you know, as depressed as I was about a lot of the aspects of it, the, the cornerbacks who couldn't, you know, were worthless and the pass rush who Shamar Stephan led the team in pressures. That's never a good thing. He was like, your boy, your boy, Shamar. <laughs> <laughs> Shamar Stephan, all of six pressures last year. Uh, that's never a good sign. So, but, but, but despite all that, I, you know, I was actually, if there's one silver lining, it was that Kirk Cousins were seeing the type of things that uh, actually bring down his game. So, you know, yes, Kirk Cousins did not play well enough to win, but you're setting such an extremely high standard when you're going up against Aaron Rodgers, who had one of the best games, honestly, of any quarterback in the last couple of years. So I don't think I'm setting a high standard. I'm asking him to make it a one score game. It's you're down 22 to 10. You're coming out of the half. Make it a one score game. We've seen him do it before. Uh, he didn't do it. He didn't do it on Sunday. But uh, the problem was the Packers like. Kirk answered touchdown for touchdown, but so did the Packers. So there was never a chance. No, to like get it he did not answer touchdown for touchdown. He answered safety for interception. You're down 12, coming out of the second half. Go down, make it a one-score game. Okay, let's say you don't even make that. The defense had a stop there. First drive of the second half for the Packers, the defense generated a stop. Kirk got a second chance to make it a one-score game, and he didn't do it. I mean, if, if we're going to judge his entire game off that fourth and three throw to Tajay Sharp, like, yeah, that was a bad throw. But again, it goes back to what are the statistics that matter? They're the ones that are the most predictive. And what's what's more predictive than zeroing in on myopically on like this one play that sticks out in our memory because of how painful it was is looking at the whole data set. And, and there, sure, you can cut out the garbage time by like the second half of the fourth quarter. Or even if you want to, you know, be a, take a more expansive, you can say, you know, anything win probability below 20%. So like early in the fourth quarter, or maybe it was the, the late in the third quarter when we hit that. You know, that, that's fine, too. But, you know, I, I think the play action pass to Adam Thielen on the very next drive, which was one of the most one of the best passes, I think, of any quarterback uh, this past this past week. Like that, that play matters, too. And we can't just we can't just look at the Tajay Sharp overthrow or the, the interception on the blaze out to Adam Thielen that Jair Alexander brought. And we got to look at the we got we to gotta remember the good stuff, too. And there was a lot there were a lot yeah. of times that game. So, uh, so here's a question. Here's a question I have then, because. I'm trying to think about this from the perspective of the season. Kirk was, a, you know, from the statistics that we pointed out, Kirk was fine, but it came at the wrong time. What happens if he regresses from that then? Are, are, the, are the Vikings a, a team – because they scored 34 points, right? That's not going to happen all the time. We've seen Kirk produce duds relatively frequently – if their defense is as poor as they were on Sunday, are they able to beat an average football team with Kirk playing, let's say, 60% uh, of, of how he played Sunday? So, no. so I don't think that's an automatic no, and this is kind of where I flip to the optimistic side because you can look at that game. Um, the running game was extremely efficient. We were ahead of the sticks. 
for, for most of that game, both Dalvin Cook and Alex Madison. And if you look at the, just the play calling, the Vikings only called one play-action pass, probably based on what we saw against Green Bay last year where they just abused the play-action rollouts. They were in Kirk's face all game. So Kirk achieved this, what I call, I would call it a good performance when you include the fourth quarter. He achieved that without doing what he's best at. And Adam Thielen, it looks like, is going to be able to be at least somewhat of a deep threat like Stephon Diggs was last year. So do I expect the Vikings to put up 34 points every game? Um, no, I don't, but I think they can be competitive if we just get, if we're just good in the big moments, good on third down. And right now, from what I see in Kirk Cousins, it's that old, same old story. That was a big moment on Sunday. Those are big moments. That was a big opponent. And his his sphincter just gets so freaking tight. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I sometimes I wonder if if like if he had the confidence of Don Cousins during times like that, <laughs> would he if he had the if he had the fortitude to to play to, oh. to to be his truth during those games that that apple didn't I wonder how far the apple fell from the tree there. <laughs> um, so so here's a question then because this is a really tricky um, this is a like. Again, I, I try not to be I, – I, I try to be, like, to set expectations at a reasonable level. But you look and you say, okay, this week they're going to Indianapolis. The Colts were a team that was favored to win the AFC South um, prior to the season. They slipped up, obviously, this past weekend. Then they're home to Tennessee, a team who's now favored to win the AFC South. Then they, then they go to Houston to face a team – whose quarterback I think we all agree is a lot better than Kirk and Deshaun Watson. And then they go to Seattle to face the Seahawks. Like which one of these games is a Kirk game, right? Which one of these games is Oakland last year? Which one of these games is, is, is Denver flip? Well, so here, here's real quick before flip answers, because I think we look at how can we, how can we call an Indianapolis game against a really bad Jags team last week? Uh, like, I guess, quote-unquote, fluke. When we don't know much about the Colts as a team in general, we had expectations for the Colts going into the season, but we didn't know what they were going to be with an old, bad Phillip Rivers. They just had a better, more talented uh, a talent, more talented roster than the, the Chargers. Well, actually, they had a more talented offensive line than the Chargers did last year. I won't say they had an overall more talented team because they don't, I don't believe. I think the Chargers had a better overall defense, better weapons. Um, that's just my opinion, though. Uh, Cause I'm a Keenan Stan, but, um, but in general, like that, I guess that's where I'm going to jump into. Like, and we saw that the Texans obviously lose to a really good Kansas city chiefs team, but we've also seen the Texans kind of pull because maybe it's more of a bill O'Brien situation, but like they pull a Minnesota Viking Vikings quite often in every season. They have a couple games where they're like real duds. You're like, how are they, how are they losing to this team? Uh, the Colts kind of do it. We, I think Phillip Rivers, whatever team Phillip Rivers is on, he does it. Um, they usually have a game like that too. So I, I go into games like the, the Texans and the, and the Colts looking at those as the Vikings can win either one of those games or both because you don't know what team you're going to play that week. The Vikings are the same way. You don't know what, what team's going to show up that week either. So I have a hard time saying, oh, the, there's no way that they can't win those two games. The, the Seahawks one, I, I have a hard time expecting anything there. But the, the Colts and the, and the Texans, I really believe, 
they're as unpredictable as the Vikings. They do have a better quarterback in Deshaun Watson. But as, as, a, as an overall team, both of those teams are as unpredictable, in my opinion, as the Vikings are. If we lose badly to the Colts, we need to send Kirk That's to, right. to Kyle Shanahan for as much as we can get and just burn it all down. Because I don't know if I'll be able to watch it. If, if Haggard oh, or Phillip <laughs> lights us up, like it's a wrap on this season. It's going right. to just be a season yeah. of pain where we know we're just going to be good enough to miss out on all the talent that comes out of the next <laughs> well, Shanahan well, loves those analytics, too. He loves that CPOE. <laughs> He'll be all over, Kirk. But, yeah, and that that's a question. I, I mean, when when does that ha- – I hate to, like, already say this, but when does that happen? Because I, I remember 2000 – like, the last, like, lost season was probably 2013, maybe 2014 – and, you know, those were setting the table for a lot of what was going to be good about the Vikings. Because if people remember, 20, was it 2012, they had three first-round picks. 2013, they had three first-round picks. In 2014, they had two. Now, they didn't have that many this time around, but they had 15 draft picks. They kept a decent number of them, including two first-rounders and Cameron Dancers, a starter, as a third-round pick. Like – I don't think it's a lost season if if they start to struggle because we get to see like Xavier Rhodes in the second half of 2014 was one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Uh, You know, Teddy Bridgewater obviously showed potential, you know, and and all those kinds of things. Like this is going to be a season I feel like of growing pains, but could we extract some positivity out of it? Um, I think so. So that's that's a track record. One question. Yeah, I wanted to, to jump in because it's come up a couple of times and we started in, we, we've been, you know, harsh-ish on Kirk talking about him. But as, as everyone has said, it is the defense's fault that this game went the way it, it did. And in some footage that didn't ever actually make it out to the open, Flip, before this game, you did say, how much worse could it get? And you cited how terrible Xavier Rhodes was <laughs> the last time we played against the Packers and really just the last season, how he was being destroyed. So coming out of this game, do you feel now that, you know, things are worse than they were before or that it, it did actually get worse? Like, what are your thoughts on this defense, the secondary, after watching that performance, given kind of your thoughts on where Xavier Rhodes was as our number one corner uh, last year? Uh, I think we have the same secondary in terms of quality. Uh, I thought the biggest, in in terms of cornerbacks, I think the biggest variance in terms of our defensive performance was a a decrease in safety play, Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris, and then a a ghost appearance from the defensive line. Uh, Now I know we, we always have the analytics pass rush versus coverage conversation and I was not, ex- I'm expecting some growing pains, but it's the same attitude I have on the offense that the, the big time players need to carry this defense until the young guys come along. And we didn't see the big time players do that. We need plus performances. We only saw it from Harrison and Eric Kendricks, and I was like, in right. The defense. Right. Right. So a, again, it's this kind of, it's this path of progress thing where Eric's talking about where do we, where do we see the inflection point in the season? We have to have four or five games of great performances by our best defensive players until we can 
figure out what we actually have at the cornerback position. And if we don't get that, then yeah, it's going to be worse. All right. Well, uh, another thing we, we have to talk about because, uh, it wouldn't be right if I didn't do this with Flip on the podcast with uh, with Eric. I mean, we got to talk a little bit about it, and time is running short, so you know we'll we'll, we'll hop in here. But we got to talk a little bit about your running backs, Flip. You mentioned you know the running game was efficient. I mean, it didn't matter. Nick's also mentioned um, a couple of times uh, on his timeline about the efficiency of the run game. You know. Eric, somehow Dalvin was able to get paid, even though you some you made that illegal in I 2020. Uh, and uh, yeah, so Flip, I want to get your thoughts, because it did look there for a little while. One of the things we talked about was Kirk not getting opportunity. And it did seem like the plan was once again to uh, feature Dalvin, feed Dalvin, feed Dalvin, get the running game going. Is that going to be viable for us? given the state of this defense and um, I guess what are your thoughts about that just generally speaking as we move forward in the season with again your running game being efficient and it really not mattering at all in terms of the outcome of this game well if it can be efficient then surely it's something that we're going to have to rely on especially when you're talking about the struggles on defense, you're looking for ways to keep possession, to increase your time of possession. Is it going to replace a strong passing game? No way, no chance. Um, but it is encouraging to see them at least stay ahead of schedule and, and do something right on the offensive side of the ball, see the offensive line farewell and run blocking, which is something that, hopefully continues. Am, am I going to stay here, sit here and say we can just ride a good run game to the playoffs? No way. But uh, based on what I saw from Kirk, there's no way. I mean, there's 10 teams, maybe more in this league that just sit back there and they win on the right or left arm of their quarterback. And I don't see the Vikings joining that group this season. We're going to need something in the run game. Well, and the issue the Vikings ran into this year is they're trying to roll out the exact same offense as last season, but you have, as Eric has alluded to many times, they traded away their best offensive player and their defense is significantly worse. We're used to them. What the Vikings want to be is a run control, ball control offense with a good defense. They don't have a good defense. So how does a run control offense really help you win games? I what is So, like, the formula that the Vikings look to try to have under Mike Zimmer with what they had last season, what they had in 2017, how does that replicate into 2020 with the current roster makeup? It doesn't. So, I'm just – not you, Flip. I'm not – you're not yeah. – you're saying everything right. I'm just curious, like, how the expectation is supposed to be anything more than bad. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing is, is the thing that they have to hope happens is that Kirk plays the games like he did on Sunday in the right order and that the quarterback play that they, that they're supposed to see this season doesn't materialize. And because I I have some faith that Zimmer by the middle part of the season is going to get good cornerback play. I mean, this isn't like, I like Les Frazier's doing a great job in Buffalo, but when he was the Vikings defensive coordinator and head coach like that didn't happen right like but i i have faith that zimmer can do this kind of thing um the pro- he did in 2018 he, he makes adjustments at some point he yeah just, right like flip brought up the rams game they were atrocious yeah. in that game but eventually they were good enough to win 
um, some games that way. Um, but but the the hard part is is like the schedule does them no favors. I mean, you, I talk you know, we ended I ended the discussion with the Seahawks, but then you're home to the Falcons. I mean, they're terrible defensively, but Matt Ryan threw for three four fifty against a, a pretty damn good secondary in Seattle. And then then you have then you go on the road to Green Bay. You have home to the Lions, who are no slouch offensively. You always struggle in Chicago. You have home to home to the Cowboys and there is no way that Bridgewater isn't throwing for 400 yards against them. So like, I, so it and, comes and then, back and then to you Kirk got Gardner, Cousins. Then, is that what you're saying? It comes back to Kirk. Yeah. And then you have Gardner Minshew the following week. And then you have Tom Brady the week after that. It's like, there isn't a breather here. I think there's none. So we're, so we're looking forward to the Tom Brady game is what you're saying. Yeah. Brady's the, the first whack ass quarterback that they play this season. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Trubisky. Here's the thing: Trubisky will be benched by then, and we we all have nightmares about Foles. So, like, I, my my thing is is if they get lucky and not l- lucky is the wrong word, but if if things shake out the way that they could have, like if Kirk plays the game in the opposite order on Sunday, they're probably in it to win it at the end of the game. He just and then happened. and then he screws it up and they lose at the end. Is that kind of what <laughs> You know, like that's the hard part, right? But, um, you know, Tennessee keeps Gostowski around. He goes 0 for 6 in the Metrodome. You know, like it's, you know, it, it, it's it, – they could win those games. And then, and then like, like, like it happened in 2018, like in 2018, what ended up happening? They got a nice, easy game at home against Arizona where Kirk fumbled touchdown, by the way. They got a nice, easy game in the wind against the Jets. Um, I'm trying to think of how that's scheduled. But by – like – there were some nice gimmies in the middle of the season for them. Detroit was another one. And then, and then by the time it came time to like, you know, compete again, like his defense was, you know, down the stretch in 18, the defense wasn't the reason they, they didn't make the playoffs. Like here, I just don't see any breathers for them. All right. So last topic, last topic for everyone here, uh, rapid fire, Nick, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, what player that we didn't hear from maybe enough in week one do you expect to have a bigger and more prominent role in week two? I would say first one that comes to mind is Herb Smith. He was sneaky good in the run game. You know, they were uh, really bringing him in. He helped set up that first Dalvin Cook touchdown really well. He's really impressive as an inline blocker. You know, you th- I think of him as like a move tight end, but he's like, He's, he, could, he can put his hand in the dirt and go up against edge players. So he's really impressive in the blocking game. And, you know, we saw he had one big third down, uh, first down on a, on a third and long. Um, but he's really good as a route runner. So I expect to see more of him going in, you know, up against a, a slightly easier secondary in Indianapolis. Miles, how about you? I was going to go Irv because that's such an easy answer because he, he should be – he's good. We know, we know Irv's good. Um, I'll go with uh, Jeff Gladney. I think – after the what we saw from the cornerbacks on Sunday and he him only playing nine snaps, I think that was kind of uh, a misstep because I think you could have taken some of these guys out and given Gladney a little bit more of an opportunity. I expect him to see a little bit more of an opportunity on Sunday against the the Colts and um, yeah. All right, Flip, how about you, man? Yeah, I'm actually let me add on to that Jeff Gladney point because I think he's my pick as well. If you look at the Packers second and third receivers Lazard and and MVS those are those guys are both 6'5 and 6'4 Jeff Gladneyson at 5'10 so maybe there's a chance that Zimmer looked at that matchup 
and he didn't like the height disadvantage. Uh, when you look at the Colts receivers, you're talking about a uh, T.Y. Hilton who's 5'10", and Paris Campbell who's six feet tall. So maybe that's a chance to get Gladney in the game and a winnable matchup for him. And Zimmer's got to try something different. All right. And uh, Doctor, bring us home. Uh, I think Yannick Ngakwe needs to be the player that plays <laughs> yeah. in this game because he had 44 snaps. Uh, he had 27 pass rushes and got to the passer once. Um, he, looked he looked tired. Yeah. And, and like that's to be expected, right? Like it's, you know, it's, it's a pandemic offseason being one, but then he had no training camp. You know, the, that's another thing. When they get Hunter back, if yeah. they get Hunter back, um, that'll help a lot, you know, hopefully. Um, but, but right now there's a lot on his shoulders because there's no one else on that defense. Right. I mean, the, the, the high for pressures was two by Shamar Stefan. Like, and they can't uh, exactly blitz. Off season takes her and crumbles. They can't exactly <laughs> shambles. They can't exactly blitz either because they yeah. don't have the horses on the back end to handle it. Right. So it really is incumbent on him um to be to be a player for them all right well gentlemen thank you for making the time i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this thing up before zoom rudely cuts us off it has been fun bringing all the worlds together bringing the group chat beefs onto the airwaves a lot of fun we will do it again soon and listeners thanks for sticking with us viewers thanks for watching we will talk to you soon have a good one skull bikes (laughs) 